Good morning, church. Wow, so good. Such a blessing to be here with you today. Let me make sure this is turned on. Oh yeah, we're good this week. I have no banners waving in the back telling me to stay in the pulpit. That's a good thing. (laughs) Nice and chilly morning this morning. We have a memory verse for the month of February, and uh, we can say it together. It's on our screen. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Psalm 119.89. Tremendous. Wow, what a wonderful weekend it's been. A full weekend. I've had some weather, but also uh, last night got to have a very special time uh, in our home with some friends uh, that uh, we shared time in ministry with a number of years ago, and it was good to just sit and reflect and catch up together, and then lo and behold, this morning I was standing in the foyer and a, a very good uh, friend, couple from early in ministry stepped in, and uh, boy, when I saw them, I almost started to tear up a little bit. It's been so long since I've seen them, and it's just so good to have them here with us today. Um, I remember very early on in ministry, uh, when I started out at Wesley Church, uh, almost 20 years ago now, It was about two or three weeks in, and I had no idea, none, zero, what was going on uh, in life and ministry, what I was supposed to be doing, how to fill my days, just just absolutely no clue. Here I had gone to school for four years, had a degree that told me I was supposed to know what I was doing, and, uh, (laughs) and I realized so quickly, I really had no idea. And so I had to make a phone call to Jim. Um who was pastoring a local church in Quarryville, and I said, Jim, what am I supposed to do all the time, like all the day? And he said, come on over, and I'll tell you. And sure enough, I came on over, and he told me, and uh, for many, many years, Jim and I shared uh, a lot of memories in ministry together, and so very thankful to have him and Amy here uh, with us this morning. We are continuing a series through the wisdom literature of the Old Testament Uh, We have gone through Job, we've gone through Psalm, and today we begin the book of Proverbs. And again, just some reminders for us on the screen today to share in. I want to really hone in on that third one, just reminding ourselves that Christ is present and inhabits all 66 books of the Bible. He gave us 66, and so it's important that we take time to read and study and learn how to apply all of them together as a congregation. And so I look forward to uh, beginning this series in Proverbs. I think over the years of growing up in church and being in ministry, I could probably count on one hand how many sermons I've heard from the book of Proverbs. And if you're here with us uh, all three weeks, this week, next, and the week after, you'll be able to count to three on one hand, maybe, some of you, the amount of sermons that you've heard in this book, but it is a tremendous book full of wisdom for us, and I think we'll enjoy the time that we spend in it together. The poet T.S. Eliot once penned the following words that today appear almost prophetic. He said this, quote, where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? End quote. We live in an age that has come to be characterized as the age of information. 
the digital age, where today we have more information delivered to us on more diverse platforms than ever before. And still, still, with all of this information available to us in so many places, we still often find ourselves confused, perplexed, disoriented, sometimes even disordering our priorities and our lives. Solutions to our lack of understanding often include words that, think about this, 30 years ago would have made no sense to anyone. So put yourself back in the 1980s, early 1990s, and imagine you going to someone with a question and them looking at you and saying, just Google it. We would have no idea what that meant. Hey, why don't you just go and watch a YouTube video? What was YouTube? Why don't you just ask Siri? Who's Siri? Or how about AI? Have you tried to use a digital assistant yet? I mean, imagine in the 1970s hearing advice like this. We would have had absolutely no idea what to do with it. We've had to create an entirely new vocabulary to define and describe all of the places where we go for information. PC, Mac, iPad, laptop, tablet, notebook, not a paper one, digital space, podcast, vlogs, blogs, wikis, fan pages, reddits. The list could go on and on and on. All this information everywhere available to us almost all of the time and still we often can feel lost, inadequate, wholly incapable and sometimes feeling without understanding in all of our pursuits to attain information we sometimes find ourselves even more confused and more perplexed now just ask someone who's had to call a tech company to ask for help anybody have to do that recently that's not fun i do not recommend it for your sanity not to call a tech company and all of this confusion, it can lead us into chaos. It can lead us into places where fear can overwhelm us. We can find ourselves angry and bitter and upset and, and even apathetic. Oh, it does even matter about so many things and sometimes even towards other people. And thankfully, as followers of Jesus, we have a more helpful, truth-filled, hopeful, and timeless well to draw from. And as we continue our examination of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, we're moving today into the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a collection of wisdom pooled together by King Solomon. Some of it his own material, others coming from wise sages throughout Israel's history. One author in his book on Proverbs titled Be Skillful said the following. He said, quote, the book of Proverbs is about godly wisdom, how to get it and how to use it. It's about priorities and principles, not get rich quick schemes or success formulas. It tells us not how to make a living, but how to be skillful in the lost art of making a life." End quote. Information today in our digital world often has a shelf life. The principles and application of true wisdom are eternal. There is much for us to glean from this overwhelming book of wisdom, and we'll only spend three weeks in its pages. So I would invite you to please consider to read and study uh, and apply the material that we don't cover 
in these three messages on your own time. The contents of Proverbs are like a buried treasure, and as we uncover the contents, we find ourselves rewarded with a sense of excitement, a sense of awe, even a sense of wonder. And so today, we'll start in chapter 1. You can take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. There's much to uncover today. We're going to kind of nibble around these three questions. First, how does wisdom serve the follower of Jesus? Then, where do we find the source or beginning of wisdom? And finally, how are we to listen and receive this wisdom and knowledge? Before we read from the scriptures, let's pray and ask God for his help today. Father, here we are. It's Sunday morning, February 18th, and you have already done so much to bring us to this space together. You have been alive and active in all of our lives. You've given us all breath. We're here. We've worshiped. We've sang. We've fellowshiped. Lord, this is exciting. This is good. Your community, Lord, the body of Christ, the church. Some of us already today have listened and bore someone's burden. Some of us already today have prayed with another person. Some of us already today have loved. We've held a door, we've given a hug, we've held a hand, we've lifted a spirit. And in all those things, you've been honored and glorified. And now we gather around your word, and we know that you use it, that you're alive, that you're active, your spirit's working now to apply to each and every one of us what we need. This is a good time. We do this together, Lord, studying your word, seeking your wisdom, and we ask that you would work. We ask that you would change us, open our hearts, renew our minds transform us and send us out into the world excited, invigorated, renewed, and ready to walk in your ways, to shine the light of Christ, and to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. That anyone who would look at the character of our lives would say, wow, something is bright and different about that person. Lord, we ask that you guide us through our time of study and that we honor you with it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Proverbs chapter one, verses one to nine. We do this sometimes. Let's today stand as we read from the scriptures. Proverbs chapter one, verses one to nine. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, 
your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. You may be seated. Thank you. This portion of Proverbs was written by King Solomon, David's son. He was the king of Israel. And wisdom played an important role in Solomon's life. Some of us remember that God had said that Solomon could ask for whatever he desired and God would give it to him. And Solomon asked for wisdom. But Solomon betrayed the wisdom that he was gifted in order to pursue his own worldly interests and gain. Solomon's words here at the beginning of Proverbs are filled up with the hope of wisdom's potential. These verses are loaded with verbs. The message, wisdom is alive, it's active, it works. We would not be wrong to connect words like ethics or morality to a full and comprehensive understanding of wisdom's word here in Proverbs. Wisdom directs, it guides, it even motivates ethical and moral living. In the Hebrew, a word used for moral instruction or moral naivety is used three times in these six verses alone. The repetition's meant to inform us that wisdom is much more than just an acquisition of head knowledge. It is something that transforms and reforms the heart and the mind, affecting and influencing our moral habits and behaviors. You can see a summary on the screen in front. To learn, to know, to understand, to receive instruction, to give prudence and discretion, and on and on and on. All of these ideas taken together fill up the meaning of this word, wisdom. This is what wisdom does. This is wisdom's work. Solomon describes how wisdom influenced skillful living vividly in verses 3 through 4, just using words like righteousness, justice, equity, even shrewdness. How about that word? And discretion. By living in wisdom, we come to understand righteousness as it relates to pursuing right relationships both with God and with those around us. The seasoning of our relationship should be salted with characteristics of peace, of patience, of love, gentleness, kindness, tenderness, and other seasonings that come from the Spirit's indwelling presence. And when relationships in our lives are broken or in disrepair, we are convicted to do the work of justice. Sitting in brokenness with others, listening, learning, gaining understanding, gently guiding, offering correction, redirection, seeking reconciliation and restoration. Wisdom motivates the patience and long-suffering for us to find safe spaces where we can sit with those who have offended us or who we have offended and we could work towards healing and repair. Wisdom does not just sweep things under the rug and hope sometime later that they'll work themselves out. That's not how wisdom works. Rightly applied then, wisdom deeply affects and influences the moral health of our day-to-day 
relationships. In this sense, our relationships are characterized then by uprightness, by wholeness, by integrity, consistency. This doesn't mean that they're always free from disruption or disturbance, but it does imply that when there is disruption or disturbance, that we are doing the hard and uncomfortable work of repair. Sometimes this requires seeking counseling, mediation, or others, maybe outside resources to help us untangle or make sense of hard things that are causing disruption, hurt, or brokenness in our relationships. In verse 4, Solomon uses a provocative word. It's this word shrewdness. Some of our interpretations or translations uh, use the word prudence there. It can also mean cleverness. It can even mean craftiness sometimes. It can be employed in the scriptures in an evil sense, like the serpent in the garden, who was crafty, shrewd, or It can be employed as Jesus when he instructed his disciples to live as, quote, wise, shrewd as serpents and harmless as doves. For the follower of Jesus living as an alien or sojourner in this world, we often find ourselves living in a way that subverts the ways that lead to foolishness and death. While we embrace and embody and employ the ways of wisdom and life as demonstrated and exemplified by Jesus. Prudence implies, or this shrewdness implies, that we have knowledge or awareness of where our lives are being lived in opposition of the ways of Caesar, the world as we intentionally and purposely walk instead in the ways of our Lord Jesus. Solomon's wisdom here suggests that seasoned saints, either by descriptive word or definitive action, pass along these tactics of subversion to young or to new followers. We are to guide, to instruct, and to teach others how to live and walk in the ways of Jesus. And the ways of Jesus are not going to be in line with the ways of the world. So often they're going to oppose or subvert the ways that are celebrated in the world. Wisdom is not just something to be embedded in the lives of youth, though. It is important, but we all need to be growing in wisdom. Look at verse 5. Let the wise also hear and gain instruction. Let the discerning acquire guidance. There's room for all of us to grow. Much is said in today's world. Our culture offers all sorts of proverbs and parables and riddles. And one of the tasks of the faithful, seeking to be wise, seeking to walk in the ways of Jesus, is to wade through all the rhymes and the lyrics within our culture and to discern what is wise and what is helpful and what is good for human flourishing, as opposed to what we see as foolish and oppressive. Living in waters teeming with both wisdom and foolishness, it is good for us to remind ourselves or rehearse together where the true source of wisdom begins. 
Where does the true source of wisdom lie? And to this, Solomon turns his attention in verse 7. And take a look. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We've seen it this way before in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord, and acknowledging the Holy One is understanding. So it's important we pause today and consider what does this concept, the fear of the Lord, mean? For those of us in the church today, we remember growing up being taught that perfect love casts out all fear. How then are followers of Jesus to fear the Lord? Isn't fear antithetical then to love? Right? This can be a confusing thought. This can be an area of study in the scriptures that can sometimes trip us up a bit. It's a concept by itself that requires great wisdom. It requires regular uh, reflection and even consistent maintenance in our daily lives. Fear can be paralyzing. Fear can overstimulate us. It can cause us to rise and fight, or it can cause us to turn and run. Fear can cause us to freeze in place. Have any of you ever been frozen by fear, like so afraid that you're just... Stiff and rigid, you can't move. You go around the corner and somebody jumps out and goes, boo! And you're right? Hopefully you didn't slug them. Don't you? <laughs> Fear can immobilize us. Fear can cause us to fake a response in order to gain acceptance or applause. When we hear the word fear, we associate words like fight, flight, freeze, feign. And we often forget this. Fear is a God-given emotion that comes with great intention and purpose. At its core, fear works to our protection. Right? It's fear that keeps us from touching a hot fireplace. There the fireplace is. I love the fireplace. It's so warm, especially this time of year. It's one of, I think in our home, it's one of everyone's favorite places to be, right in front of the fireplace. But we dare not touch the glass in front of the fireplace. Because what would happen? Poor Hannah, there's, there's a healthy fear there when it comes to the fire. It's fear that keeps us attentive, alert, and aware when we're walking near the edge of a cliff. Have you ever gone to see something beautiful out overlooking waters or mountains or something? You've been near the edge of the cliff, right? We're not careless there. We kind of have a healthy fear, knowing that if we misstep, we're going over the edge. It's fear that mobilizes caution when we're out in the wilderness, and all of a sudden, we see Mr. Bear, I like, I'm not going to go wrestle that thing, right? It's fear that keeps me from wanting to wrestle the bear in the woods. It's healthy security when understood properly. 
When we're in the presence of something that could destroy us, overwhelm us, even harm us, there is a proper sense of fear that keeps us safe. Think of an uncontrollable waterfall. Some of you have been to the Niagara Falls. You've seen the power and the force of that water. It's fear that keeps us a healthy distance and keeps us from saying, hey, I wonder if I'd just jump in there and dip my toe in. doesn't work that way. Fear keeps us from that which could harm us. When we are aware of the presence of fear, we tend to keep ourselves at a safe distance. We walk with caution around the things that we're uncertain of. And as we consider the fear of the Lord, we recognize and live with this continual reminder that our lives are seen and known fully by a holy and righteous God who is bigger and stronger and more powerful than anything we could ever imagine. We on earth have no reference point for the unlimited nature of God's strength. He is stronger. He is bigger. He is mightier than anything we could fathom in this universe. And we are small in comparison to him. And yet, we find that this great and mighty, enormous God that we can't fathom desires intimate relationship with those he's created. Wow. The fear of the Lord, then, wisely keeps our humanity, our life, and our relationship to God in proper perspective. To fear God is to listen, to obey, to follow in His ways and His words and His wisdom. It's to live in a manner that proclaims Jesus is Lord. His ways are right. He is better. Follow Him. And when we fear God, I love this, when we fear God above humanity, we have nothing else to fear. And when we find ourselves, as we sometimes do, out of line with God's ways or His words or His wisdom, we can come to Him in confession and repentance and we can find forgiveness. Psalm 130 verse 4, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. In a spirit of humility and brokenness, we can come to God with our failures and our sins and find the promise of forgiveness and restoration. Our lives rightly ordered and prioritized when we're living in awe and wonder and the fear of the Lord, the one who is greater and stronger than us, but also promises to save us when we come to Him through Jesus. Once in Christ, He establishes our ways. He he gives us security. He upholds us. He motivates us. And He encourages us to continue for His name's sake. When we live in the fear of the Lord, then we are safe with God. He keeps us as we continue to walk in His good and right ways. Simply put, 
The fear of the Lord acknowledges that God is big, that we are small, that He created us and we belong to Him, and that His ways are better than any other way we might be tempted to walk in. It is this fear that Solomon says is the beginning of knowledge and discernment. And fools despise it. The scriptures tell us the fool saith in his heart what? There is no God. There's no beginning then for wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is to acknowledge God. One scholar remarked, he said, quote, knowledge here in the Hebrew refers to experiential knowledge, not just cognitive knowledge. This includes intellectual assimilation. It includes practical application. Its nuance involves discernment, even moral skill, end quote. Real wisdom, that is wisdom that is grounded and flowing out of a fear of the Lord, is wisdom that is alive that is actively working in our daily lives, witnessed in the rightness of our relationships with God and with others. We might wonder then, how are we to receive such wisdom? What is the right posture? What is the right relationship that we should assume in our pursuits of wisdom? Great question. How does this wisdom come to us? Verses 8 and 9 hold the answer. Take a look. Hear, my son, my child, my daughter. Hear your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. We are ready to receive wisdom, to hear it, to learn it, to apply it in our lives when we see ourselves as children. There was a lot of children in our house last night. I think 14. I think I counted 14 children at one point in our house last night. And man, it was wild. <laughs> we were trying to have adult conversation at a kitchen table, and kids were screaming, running all over the place, chasing after each other with Nerf guns. <laughs> it's wild. And I was thinking about this like, childlike faith. How often did Jesus talk about this? How often did Jesus affirm this posture? This is just one example. Matthew chapter 18. This is Jesus calling to him a child. He put him in the midst of this crowd. And he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Strong words from our Savior. Whoever humbles himself like a child 
is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Friends, it takes humility to submit to God's wisdom. It takes humility to acknowledge that God's ways are better than our own. It takes humility to see and to hear and to know and to understand that what's presented in God's word is better, is more healthier, more life-giving, more right and more good than all the different ways we see celebrated and put before us in the world. Child-like humility. We're to receive this wisdom as children. And here's where we draw down our thoughts as we conclude this first week of the three-week mini-series in Proverbs. As we read and reflect on the Proverbs, we're to listen as a daughter or a son. Look at all of these qualities of childlike faith. I was just thinking about things that exist in our own home. (laughs) We lose these as we get older. I preach to myself. I lose my sense of wonder, my sense of curiosity, my sense of looking at God with mystery. I lose my sense of adventure, of playfulness, of fun. Excitement, industriousness. Oh, kids, they're always doing something, right? It's like they always like pack together and find things out that like work against mom and dad, I feel like. It's like, you know, we have to establish new, new ways. <laughs> they're eager. They're excited. They're energetic. I hear many of you come in and say, if I just had an ounce of that energy, that would be great. We see them running around. They come in here. They got big smiles on their faces. They're running Wednesday night. Just so fun to see them here. Discovering. Learning. Oh, being eager to learn. Having the posture of a lifelong learner. That's exciting. God's word. So exciting. So invigorating. So much to learn. So many of you would agree with me that the more you dig, the more you discover, the more you read, the more you study, the more you hear, the more you realize, the more we realize there is to learn. Isn't that the beauty of God's Word? Isn't that the beauty of a relationship with God? We serve this big and mighty God that we could never fathom or understand, and as we want to walk in his ways and follow him and study his word. And as we look to Jesus and his example and his words, we have such a compelling example. There's just more and more and more to learn, more to explore, more to see. There's a hunger, a passion to grow. How about how caring and compassionate the kids are? Last night, the friends that came over uh, to our house, they have, they have six children, uh, one couple, the other couple has three, and the couple that has six children, they live down in Virginia, and we get to see them maybe once a year, uh, and they have, they have opposite, they have five girls and one boy, so they're opposite of us, so, and, and their, their kids are much younger, but we blend pretty well, and I, I was amazed at 
just, the kids are just like, look at each other. They look at them. Nobody's like, hey, are you post-trib or pre-trib? Before we play, I need to know. You know, like. <laughs> now tell me who you voted for last year, and then I'll decide if I go down there and play Nerf guns with you or not. There's none of that. None of it. Like the caring and compassion. And it's just like so eager to just go play and have fun. Oh, we lose these things as we get older. They're quick to forgive. They hurt one another. They get mad. They come up, right? He hurt me, you know? And, and, and then they realize, like, if I hold this grudge, I'm going to miss out on all this fun. So they're so quick to forgive. They're grace-filled. They overlook offenses. They're kind. They're truthful, sometimes brutally truthful, right? Those of you that are teachers know this. Kids will just say whatever's on their mind to you sometimes during the day. And you're like, wow. <laughs> Didn't expect that. <laughs> Be ready. Brutal honesty. And they're so innocent. They're so trusting. Oh, to have faith like a child. Oh, to be in our older years of life, in our seasoned years of life, to still see ourselves in the seat of a child and to be able to receive wisdom in this posture what life, what freedom, what wonder. Like a mother or a father instructing their children on the way that we should go, the things we should consider, the way that we might properly relate to others, the Proverbs will give us wisdom. Throughout this book, you will see, my son, hear my words. Wisdom that when received and applied rightly will help us live in community with others with grace and dignity. Qualities that are so lacking in our world today. To live with others with grace and dignity. Applying wisdom to our lives help us to live a life that we've been called into the world will see a person who lives with a mindset of abundance, not lack, because we've been given everything in Christ. A person who walks by faith, who is growing in love, who's exuding hope. Oh, I love to be around people that, exudes, that exude hope. That's been my wife's word this year, Sheila's word. She even got a shirt that says it now. I love that. Oh, our world needs more hope. Our world needs more hope. A person who's wise is going to exude hope. They're never going to be hopeless. God did not leave us without a clear example of wisdom personified, thankfully. Instead, he sent his son Jesus into the world. And I love what Paul says about Jesus in 1 Corinthians but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
So if we sit here today and we need a clearer picture, we need a clearer definition, well, Chris, show me, what does wisdom look like? Like, tell me about a person who really lived wise, whose life I can look at and I can take to the bank every time, this is the way I should go. That person is Jesus. He is the picture of wisdom for us in the New Testament. Wisdom personified. He lived a life full, perfect, complete wisdom. And the Proverbs meet their full and right fulfillment in the person and the life and the ministry of Jesus. And I encourage you today, if you're here, and if you're listening online, and you've not known Jesus as your Savior, you've never received Him as your Lord, that today might be the day that you do that. The wisest decision that you'll ever make in your life is a decision to follow Jesus. The wisest decision you'll ever make in your life is the decision to call upon the name of the Lord. It's the wisest. It's the wisest thing we can do. The scriptures say, call upon the name of the Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You can know of true wisdom today, personally. You can know of that life. Our team's going to come. I want to pray. Father, we thank you for this book. We thank you for its wisdom. We thank you for the opportunity to know you through your son Jesus, wisdom personified. We thank you that you left us with a tremendous example of wisdom, the greatest example. Lord, if there's any here today in this building or any watching online that don't know you, that have yet to turn to you for salvation, I pray that even now, in these quiet moments, that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus, your Son, is Lord. That they would repent of their ways, their former ways, and turn to Him, believing in their heart that you have raised Him from the dead, and there is life upon life upon life. And Lord, I know, we know, that when we come to you in this manner, we are saved. We are safe. Jesus is the only way, Lord. He's the only way. So even now, Lord, we wait in a few moments of silence to give space for somebody who's hearing this to come to you in these moments to declare that they believe. Father, we don't know how you work in the lives of those who have gathered here or online, but we know that you do work. And we thank you. And I would pray today that if anyone has confessed Jesus as Lord for the first time today, that you just give them the courage to reach out and let us know. They could fill out the white card in the bulletin today. They could 
click the link online, let us know so we could pray for them, we could connect with them, encourage them, lift them up and help show them ways that they could grow in their love for Jesus and their love for you. And we give you the glory for how you work. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.